Good morning, everyone. Friends, <laughs> the uh, today uh, we hear about Jesus and temptation, and so as you should surmise, temptation is not sin, uh, for Jesus is without sin. So temptation is something different. It's something that tries to get us to sin, and uh, there are sins and of our time uh, that are equal to that of Jesus' time, and there are temptations just as powerful as the ones of Jesus' time. And there's nothing more so tricky and powerful as a temptation that presents itself as something that is good. Because um, it is very tricky. And one of the ones that happens today is uh, one that puts forth that there are no absolute truths. Everything is relative to the person, and that is a terrible temptation for Christians because it seems, it seems to be okay, but it is not, because in fact, there is such a thing as objective truth. There is such a thing as objective morality and goodness, and I believe that a human person can come to know and experience these, be, one, first of all, because God puts it on every human heart. There is no human heart that cannot understand this because this is the thumbprint that God puts on each of the humans, that they can come to know what is good and what is more and what is correct. And furthermore, you can become experts on it. You will be able to know what is truth because of Mother Church, because of Jesus, because you're exposed to what it really is, that thumbprint. Our gospel for this Sunday uh, in Lent tells us that Satan tested Jesus. Remember, Jesus has a human nature and a divine nature, and it's hard for us to grip this. Satan is going after Jesus' human nature because people will say, well, he's the son of God. He can't be tempted. But as the human side of Jesus, apparently so, because it happened. And uh, so... Um, Jesus tempts him for 40 days in the desert, and Jesus does not give way to the propositions of Satan. And my friends, uh, Mark's gospel doesn't get into it, but Luke and Matthew does. It tells us what those temptations were. But Jesus does not agree to any of the proposals of Satan. And I believe that anything like this, uh, the ones that uh, Satan were proposing to Jesus for an untrained heart would be very, very confusing. However, Jesus knew that the propositions of Satan that he spoke were not true. And I'm going to put forth to you that Jesus came to know this not because he was the Son of God. He was, but there's a different reason, I believe. I believe Jesus came to know what this was was because he spent 30 years of his life surrounded by people who loved God, who knew God, and who were faithful to God. Do you know who I'm talking about? His mother and father, Mary and Joseph, his earthly parents. They modeled radical great faith and exampled by their lives what it was to be faithful to God, what it was to answer God's call, what it was to welcome God's will in their life. And then for them, God's will was to have Jesus, the Son of God, in their life. And my friends, to remind you, 
To accept this was to put Joseph and Mary at great risk in their time. Recall they had to flee to another country to escape persecution. And during that time, they taught Jesus about God. I know it's mind-boggling. How do you teach the Son of God about God? (laughs) Right? But they did. They were a family of faith, and they prayed together. They worshipped together in their community. They were Jewish. They acted with kindness. The world treated Mary and Joseph with great hostility, and they responded with great kindness because of their faith and trust in God. So I tell to all the families here, all the mom and dads and grandma and grandpas and uncles and aunties, walk in holiness. Be that example to the children. Can we not say that because of this, because of Joseph and Mary, Jesus knew that choosing the truth, the real truth, would come with great sacrifice and suffering at times. For example, Mary knew that saying yes to what God wanted, bearing the Son of God, very well meant the possibility that her life would end. Why? Because in Jesus' time, an unwed woman who was pregnant, the law called for her to be stoned. Now, Mary had a betrothal. That's not the way it is today. It's not the same as engagement. Betrothal meant she, was, she belonged to Joseph, and then the ceremony was coming. Joseph knew that taking Mary as his wife into his home Pregnant and him not being the biological father would bring not only great shame on him, but his whole family. Fleeing to a foreign country, they would come to understand that they would encounter great discrimination and for a time would feel isolated and lonely. That was Joseph and Mary, but Jesus had some other holy people in his life as examples about what it is that God was about. Do you remember who his cousin is? John the Baptizer, a very holy and radical man, was his cousin. He would have experienced his cousin. And John the Baptizer's mother, Elizabeth. She was a holy woman. Both were models of strong faith, and Jesus would have experienced that through them too. In this, we can see more clearly why Satan didn't have a chance against Jesus, who was the son of Mary and the son of God, because Jesus knew truth. Today, we hear a lot of my truth. I got to speak my truth. I got to speak my truth. You got to speak your truth. I know it's slang for experience, but it is a slippery slope, one step away from relativism, which says the only thing that's relative is to what I believe in my situation, nothing else. You see? Jesus certainly experienced faith and devotion to God and God's truth his whole life, and he knew that a person of faith could not be swayed easily by the earthly words and ways, by the glimmer and glamour of this world and its desires. We are told in the scriptures that after his time in the desert, which prepared him for his public ministry, Jesus emerged 
from the desert and began to speak God's truth to all people. The scripture said, he came forward and said, this is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That was Jesus's first homily. He did it in three sentences. Sixteen years later, I'm still trying to figure out how to do that. <laughs> but my friends, he came out of the desert in that time of temptation, and he spoke these truths to us. It was a time for others to recognize truth, to change their lives, amend their ways, and return to God with all their hearts. I wonder how many people of Jesus' time took his words seriously. Was it easy for them to recognize the truth when he spoke it? And were they ready for the consequences for following that truth? So my friends, we are in our Lenten season, and it is our time, a time to really look at the decisions that mold our lives daily. You make decisions every day, all the time. And it molds what you do for the day, for the week, for the month, for the year, it molds your life. Lent is our time to look if we have wandered and return to God with all of our hearts. It is our desert time too. And you and I will be tempted also by falsities disguised as truths. To be tempted to give up and give in to false gods and cheap worldly pleasures and glories. My friends, the um, in our time, uh, some Christians do not think about sin and temptation. They just blow it off as if it was nothing. But they are very powerful. And these things really affect Christians' lives. Time and again, these false truths are presented to us by great power holders who want you to follow them and to perpetuate control over you, to enslave you again. The devil continues to speak, specifically through all the different medias of our time, presenting ideas contrary to the gospel values, to virtues, and righteousness. When we think of temptations, we often think of temptations of being just super bad, ugly things. But it is not only evil and all of its ugliness that can lead us astray. Temptation can come under the guise of good. Luke and Matthew tell us what the temptations was that Satan presented. He went to Jesus and said, you're hungry, make bread. That just sounds reasonable, doesn't it? It's bread. It's just bread. And then Satan would tell him, not just bread for yourself, make it for the whole world. Feed the hungry. But in that moment, that was the wrong decision. Then he went on to tell Jesus, go up to the top of the temple and throw yourself down and float down. Then they will see your power. Well, that seems pretty reasonable. A little fanciful, but reasonable. You see what I'm getting at? How it looks, it appears to be good. It is not good in that moment. And then he says, I will give you all the kingdoms. I will give you the kingdoms of the earth. They belong to me. You don't have to do this. I will show you the easy way. Sounds reasonable. 
And Jesus says, no, that is not the will of my Father. That is not how it will be. Furthermore, he knew the proposals of Satan were not truth. They were lies. But they sure did look like they were reasonable and truthful. So my friends, in this we see the strength that temptation can be. Temptation is very powerful in its proportion to the attractiveness of its goal, what it wants you to accept. It is not only when the path is hard and strewn with obstacles that we fail, but also when it is easy and littered with all kinds of pretty things that we can fail. Our Lord tells us, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and other things will be given to you. Matthew 6, 33. And as always, as I've told you since I've been your pastor, it is your choice. You make the decision about what you will do or what you will not do. You choose to believe in the gospel, meaning to know it and to live it out and make it a priority, or you choose not to. Lent calls us to remember the centrality of the gospel in its eternal truths, to remember the centrality of the cross in our life and come to the understanding that false truth that may seem good are a very powerful trap that Satan uses. The devil does not appear as a repulsive character, not at all. As a matter of fact, he ingratiates himself. He tries to make you think, I'm your friend, I'm just trying to show you the other way. The other way, there is no other way. He presents things and wraps them in pretty. And my friends, I've been sharing with people from the scriptures. Now, when I say Lucifer, do you know who I'm talking about? You do know that Lucifer was a great angel. And the first thing I want to, because you've already bought into an untruth. You think that Lucifer was an archangel, but he wasn't. He belonged to the cherub and seraph class of angels. Do you know that there are classification of angels, a hierarchy? The highest are seraph or cherub. Lucifer was one of them. The archangels are a little bit lower. And I say that with great respect. But when you think of cherub, you know what's in your head when I say cherub? A little fat baby with wings. <laughs> See, you've already bought into a false. Cherubs are not little fat babies with wings. They are great, powerful angels. And they sit right next to God. And here is a description of Lucifer. It comes from Ezekiel chapter 28. You were a seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. In Eden, the garden of God, not the one that Adam and Eve were in. That's a different one. You lived Precious stones of every kind were your covering. Carnelian, topaz, beryl, crystallite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, garnet, and emeralds. Their mounds and settings were wrought in gold for you, fashioned for you the day you were created. With a cherub I placed you. I put you on the holy mountain of God where you walked among fiery stones. Fiery stones is symbolism for God's light. So Lucifer walked close to God. Blameless were you in your ways from the day you were created until evil was found in you. Your commerce 
was full of lawlessness. I mean, how you conducted your ways was full of lawlessness, and you sinned. Therefore, I banished you from the mountain of God. The cherub drove you out from among the fiery stones. But what this isn't saying, now I just told you about the hierarchy of angels. Lucifer was the highest of them all. The cherub class moved him away from God. But who kicked him out of heaven? An archangel, a lower one. Do you see how insulting that is to someone who has an ego problem? He sent a, if you will, a slave to get out a prince. I shouldn't laugh. That's not, you know, we shouldn't laugh about that. This is serious stuff. But it goes on to say, I banished you from the mountain of God. The cherub drove you out from among the fiery stones. Your heart had grown prideful because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom because of your arrogance. I cast you out. And then from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah says, How you have fallen from the heavens, O morning star, son of the dawn. How you have been cut down to the earth, you who conquered nations. In your heart you said, I will scale the heavens. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne. Whew, that's arrogant. I will take my seat on the mount of the assembly, on the heights of Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the heavens. I will be like the Most High. Isaiah ends that with, nope. Down to Sheol you go. Sheol is another way of saying, uh, if you will, hell. My friends, um, as your pastor and your priest, I have great confidence that you do know the difference between the false truths that the world is feeding you and wants you to bite and accept. I know this because of God's grace. I know this because Mother Church is an example. And I know people say, well, Mother Church has been... Nuh-uh. Christ promised nothing will prevail against his church. Satan, Lucifer... King has certain freedoms and liberties now. He can come into this church if he wants to and sit right in the pew next to you, and you would probably never know it. Can he? Yes. Will he? He didn't like holiness, so no, he probably won't. But you see what I'm getting at? We have already seen the effects of his awful influence on everything, governments and churches. We've seen it. But Christ has promised in the end, I will prevail, and nothing will come against my church. I know that you know what is right. You will make the right decisions. Don't prove me wrong. <laughs> but we have Jesus in his humanity and divinity modeled for us what it is that faith looks like and how we should see it and understand it. He left his church. My friends, a real relationship with God a real love for God is always better than any fake thing, any false truth that Satan would try to put forth to all of us. If something contradicts sacred scriptures, but it seems reasonable and fine, even appears to be good, Satan knows that you will bite. Because if he presents it in an ugly way, you're going to be repulsed by it. That's why I gave you the description of Satan. He God did not create him ugly. That's Hollywood. God created him beautiful. What changed? His essence. He chose to go against God. 
So he's not going to appear to you as an ugly thing because you're not going to accept that. He's going to come to you looking sharp to catch you off guard. But you know better. I know you know better. I have complete confidence in you. I have total trust in Mother Church and Jesus. So my friends, know this. True, real relationship with God. The love of God is always better than any replica. And we have our church and our community to help us when we begin to be confused by the putting forth of this world and its ideologies. Amen? So my friends, I just want to take a moment to talk with you about the Eucharist. Uh, last night, Deacon and I, we have a 5.30 Mass, and at the 5.30 Mass, uh, there was a large number a decent number of people, when they come forward for the Eucharist, and we say the body of Christ, they say, thank you. Some try to take, never take, never grab the Eucharist from us. Let us place the Eucharist into your hand or into your tongue. But the response is not thank you. The response is amen. So let's rehearse this. The priest says the body of Christ, and the people who are coming forward say the priest says, the body of Christ, amen. When do you say thank you? When you return to the pew and sit or kneel, then you give God thanks and glory for his graces. So out of love, and you know I love you, out of love I'm asking you, please, please, please remember the response. Amen means so be it, I believe, yes, it's true. I mean, it, and amen has a lot of different phrases. Thank you is appropriate, yes, but when you, after you receive and you go back to the pew, amen?